0: Green and White Noise is brought to you by Game Time, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Did you know that Michigan State ticket prices tend to drop right before the game starts? GameTime tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, then shows you all the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the GameTime app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. When we started these ads a couple weeks ago, I think the Ohio state game. We had someone tweeted us that uh, they used game time and got tickets cheaper than they would have through uh, the other ticket apps. Uh, That was someone we knows that's it was a real legit thing. So uh, you guys should check that out. Head to the app store, the play store now to download game time and score awesome deals on last minute tickets. (laughs) Oh, they'll fake it. Bates, throws it. He's got yeah, him! wide open! He's got Charlie Gant inside the 10! He can walk in! Spartans win! Touchdown,
1: MSU! Whoa, he has trouble with the snap, and the ball is free!
0: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to Green and White Noise. My name is Chris Vanini. I'm joined by Colton Pouncy. We are your hosts. It's time to talk Michigan State football bye week Take some questions. Talk some national college football. Colton, you were the host last Thursday. We got rave reviews about that. How have you spent your bye week
1: <laughs> You know, uh, I actually went back to Chicago. I had, I had a couple friends, uh, you know, doing some things i went to a halloween party which was 12 days before halloween which didn't really uh too way too early i thought uh but i went it was a very low effort costume um what was and it that, i don't know i just put some tape on some fake glasses and put on a dress shirt and went as a, a nerd i guess i don't know clark I, pence it is sounds good yeah yeah we'll go with that <laughs> um so very low effort um and then I had a friend who was having her baby shower, so I went to that. So oh, it was a good weekend, but uh, good to be back.
0: Yes. And it is land grant trophy week, people. Yes. This is a big deal. Uh, we'll talk more about Penn State specifically on the Thursday pod, the one that's for subscribers of the Athletic only, when we do our typical game preview. But right now, we're gonna talk about some other issues that have kind of been around the program, take a bunch of questions that you guys sent in, and go from there. So, kind of one of the biggest stories I think around Michigan State football over the last few weeks is the transfer portal. Six, six players have gone in in the past few weeks. Uh, Colton, you are obviously there Any signs sensing around the program. Let's start, just kind of go through these players for people who may not know, and then let's talk about whether or not this is a big deal.
1: Yeah, we can do that. Uh, so the first guy to transfer was Connor Hayward, and you know he kind of entered the year as Michigan State's starting running back. Uh, he was of all the backs on the roster, he was the oldest back, and he had the most experience coming into the year. So uh, you know, Daytona usually leans on that experience to start a season, but he's not afraid to change throughout and. After the first week, I think he had 15 carries for 43 yards. Um, second week, he was benched uh, in favor of Elijah Collins, a retro freshman running back. And the next three games, he had a total of nine carries. Kind of saw his role diminishing a little bit, and he decides to enter the transfer portal. So I, I don't think that was that big of a surprise. You, you kind of assume that maybe one or two of these guys would end up leaving if, if another guy emerged. Um, so I wasn't really shocked to see Hayward leave. Um, but then a couple weeks later, you know, Ladarius Jefferson entered the portal, uh, another running back. So that's two of your, your best pass protection backs that are now in the transfer portal, no longer on the roster. Um, and he was another young guy that was passed up by Elijah Collins. Who was Those two were in the same recruiting class. So you had to figure, you know, one of those guys was going to emerge. One of them is going to transfer. So right off the bat, you got two running backs who were expected to play a lot this year or uh, played a lot last year, are are both in the transfer portal now.
0: And and Jefferson, he like Hayward can redshirt. He left, he did the four games, and he could redshirt. Jefferson couldn't, and that made that very strange.
1: It was, and the, the timing of it was odd, and I think Mark D'Antonio had said that, you know, Jefferson had thought about entering the transfer portal around the same time that Hayward did, um, but then he played that fourth game and got in the fifth game and a sixth game, and then he decided to leave. So I think the timing was... A little bit strange, but you know he's a player who's going to do the best for him, um, and that's what he did. He entered the portal, um, and then you have a couple guys. So Brandon Boyer Randall, uh, you know he actually entered the transfer portal back in September. Uh, he's a, a defensive player, a linebacker, and of all these guys, I think he was the player that maybe had the best opportunity to play going forward. Um, you know he's a redshirt junior. Um, I think he could have been a starter next year had he had he stuck around a little bit, but. He's more of a 3-4 a outside linebacker rather than a 4-3. So I think it, it would have, it's a better situation if you can find a team that fits that defensive scheme for him. Um, and it was kind of hit or miss whether he would start anyway. Uh, and then we can continue down the line. Uh, Weston Bridges, he was a scholarship running back. He came in with Connor Hayward in the 2017 class. He's had a couple of knee injuries, uh, two ACL injuries and and one in high school, one at Michigan State, and missed a lot of time over the years. And I don't think he ever really quite got back to the player that MSU was expecting him to be. You know, Mark D'Antonio asked him to switch to receiver this spring. Um, So he kind of lost out. You could tell he got passed up on that running back depth chart. And so they tried to move him to receiver, but I don't even think he got into a game at receiver. And then he had some issues uh, with the team and was basically suspended or sat out for a game. So he had some issues, and then he ends up in the transfer portal last week. Uh, we actually had three players in the portal last week alone. Bridges was the first. Cam Chambers, another wide receiver. Uh, and this one is, is a little bit strange because Cam Chambers was a four-star guy, part of that 2016 class, um, and he never really got a fair shake at Michigan State. Um, he was always passed up by other guys, and you had to wonder if it was a talent issue or maybe the coaches didn't see much from him in practice. I'm not really sure, but even this year you know he entered he got into law school at Michigan State and it's really tough to play football and go to law school i don't know if any of you guys <laughs> have tried before i have not myself but it just seems like a really hard thing to do and Antonio said they were going to try to make it work um that's kind of a tough situation but he was splitting time between law school and football and so there's a fan on twitter last week that asked him like no it wasn't really much been asked there's more a demanding fan saying, "Hey, you need to spend more time playing football. Law school is great and all, but you gotta play football." Yeah, don't don't, do don't tweet at players like that. Don't do that at all. <laughs> so someone did that, and he responded, and he said, "I don't know where this narrative came from, but you know, I'm not favoring one or the other. I want to play football. I've I've been asking and begging to play football, and that hasn't happened. I think I should be playing. And I think when he sent that tweet, I was a little bit of a a little bit of an alarm signaled, and I think." You know, you could kind of see the writings on the wall a little bit there. And the next day, he ended up in the transfer portal. Um, so that was, that was a tough break, and he's trying to figure that out. I don't know how many schools would accept a football player that's going to law school. It's kind of a tough deal, but hopefully he can find a good situation for does, him. Does,
0: I don't know. I mean, I don't know how all this works, but is he changing law schools, too, With the when you transfer? I mean, that's. I feel like if the education is such an important deal... I don't know. I like, I don't yeah. know if he's close to graduating from law school or, or what that might make it easier. I don't know.
1: Yeah. that That's, that's the question I think everyone's trying to figure out right now. Cause he did finish undergrad. Um, so he's just trying to find a, a good law school for him and play football. Uh, he's from the Northeast, so maybe he can find a school out over there, but I don't know. That's going to be tough. And then finally the last player Titan Noah Davis. Uh, he was also in the 2016 class. Um, You know, he was a fourth-string receiver. He was behind uh, Matt Dodson, Matt Seibert, and Trent Gilson. Uh, He was injured a lot last year. I don't think he played in a a game last year. Um, So that one wasn't much of a surprise. It's it's just just another guy looking for another opportunity because he wasn't getting it at Michigan State. Um, So that's kind of the breakdown of these six players. I think MSU is kind of towards the top of the nation in in transfers midseason. I kind of asked around our college football beat writer Slack channel about hey, how many guys at your school have have transferred midseason? And basically the response I got was no more than three or four. So I think MSU kind of ranks high. I don't know the exact numbers. That might be something to dig into later on. But, yeah, six players in the transfer portal right now, and uh, some some fans are a little upset about that. What do you think, Chris? Well,
0: because, like, this isn't something we typically see from MSU. Usually you see this kind of attrition when guys are getting kicked off the team, whether it's the 2009 – Uh, Rather Hall fight with the stuff or or kids getting kicked off for uh, failed drug tests or something like that. Um, So to see so many players actively leave instantly brings up a lot of questions, questions about D'Antonio's future, questions about uh, just kind of the state of the program. But I I think it's also worth noting, you know, Hayward really kind of started this, off and I I, I, you know you wonder if that kind of opened the eyes of some kids of whether or not they could do this and the transfer portal is new it was a new thing what last year I think was the first year of it so you know Mm -hmm. do do we compare this turnover to previous years when there wasn't a transfer portal and it wasn't as easy to get out if you wanted to get out there's also you know you don't need the permission to contact anymore that was a, a, a change over the summer so it's easier for kids to transfer that is important context I, I, I think I think the biggest story coming out of this group is that between these guys and, and other guys over previous years you told me there were what seven players left from the two thousand sixteen recruiting class?
1: Yeah. There are seven players left. Uh and that class had I believe nine four star players and at this point in time just, just one player is left, and that's Naquan Jones. And he's not even a starter. <laughs> Um so I of the players left, I th- I can go through this real quick. I think we got Mike Panashuk, we have Luke Campbell, an offensive guard, uh Joe Bocci, A. J. R. Curie, who was expected to have a big role this year but hasn't he's played like one or two games maybe. He's been injured the whole season. Um, Matt Allen, Matt Coglin and Naquan Jones. I believe that's it. So the, uh, and, so, you know, so
0: the guys left, five of them are starting.
1: Yeah. But still, you know, that's a class that was expected to kind of carry Michigan State this yeah, year. Yeah, you know? that was the class after you,
0: the playoff team that was supposed to be the future of the, the program. Donnie Corley and guys who were kicked off the team within a year for uh, – you know, he was involved in the alleged sexual assault stuff. Uh, it, mm. it, it, it was right from the beginning that class had all sorts of problems – it has continued to this day with it coming up as Mark D'Antonio, Mark D'Antonio is being sued by Curtis Blackwell. So mm-hmm. that that class and the way the team kind of responded from 2015 really has kind of been a turning point for the program. and It's really carried on, you know, because when you lose a lot of guys from a class, you can't always immediately just make that up in terms of numbers. Yeah. And that's, that's a question I have right now, and I put it on Twitter and some people disagreed that, this can cause issues for years to have seven players, six players leave in the span of a few weeks. Some of them are juniors. Some of them didn't have a lot of playing time left. Most of them, none of them really were contributors. Although Jefferson probably wasn't Jefferson. It was a sophomore, but you can bring, so MSU only has what, 15 seniors on this class. So it was going to be a small recruiting class. This allows them to bring in a bigger class. So that helps. It's not like they're going to hit the hard 25 cap that they have to make up. They should be able to make up these numbers within a year. But in terms of having guys on the scout team, having running backs who can pass block, uh, guys who get reps in, in practice and in games, this stuff matters in terms of depth. They're, they're, you know 80, yeah. 85 scholarships, you take away the guys who... Are red chain. those numbers get down really quickly and anytime you're losing six guys is, is not a good thing it can cause problems so they can bring in guys next year to fill the spots but can those guys do the same thing on the scout team that a senior would have probably not and that that's what i mean when i say these things uh factor on for a few years after they leave when you have such high numbers
1: yeah i, I think i think it helps that you know they're kind of all spread out over the place you know Ladaris Jefferson a sophomore, you got some redshirt juniors, seniors, you know, it, it, it kind of spreads out a little bit, um, I think that helps, rather than, like, one class just being decimated, like the 2016 class, um, but yeah, you know, it, it definitely hurts in the short term, you know, we mentioned Ladaris Jefferson and, and Connor Hayward as pass protection, and what have we seen since? Matt Seibert getting in the backfield mm-hmm. on on third and long, and that's that's the biggest tell, you, everyone knows you're going to pass if you have a tight end in your, in your backfield, and Brandon Boyer-Randall was going to be a situational pass rushing specialist, and pass rushing has been a little bit of an issue this year. You know, Kenny Wilkes hasn't been getting the consistent pressure that he had last year. He's getting more attention. Um, you know, teams are getting the ball out quicker against Michigan State to kind of offset that. So, I mean, it, it can definitely hurt your team in the short term. Um, I do think coaches would probably prefer to go for, you know, more young players with those scholarships rather than bringing in someone from the transfer portal if you, if you have the available space. Um, so I think that kind of benefits them in a way. But, yeah, I, in the short term and, and what you're trying to do in 2019, it definitely affects some things.
0: Yeah, I think the 2013 class also had a lot of attrition that year, and that partly led to why 2016 was such a bad season, and now we're seeing 2016 attrition lead to this. But, yeah, it's 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 not something we typically see with D'Antonio. Normally, when you have this turnover, it's it's guys getting kicked off the team, but you usually don't see this many guys – actively choosing to leave so we'll have to see mm. how it uh plays out but um there's still a season this year left to play like i said land grant trophy week uh, but before we talk penn state thursday let's we decided to take some questions open up a mailbag we sent out the request for questions at bad times during the day so we didn't get a ton but we got some here so let's let's start here this one's from bill de filippo He's actually a Penn State fan, but he says, is Felton Davis attending this weekend's game solely happening to give every Penn State fan nightmares for the next six <laughs> days? And that's that's a fair point. In, t- in 2017, the MSU win, he had 12 catches, 181 yards, and a touchdown. Oh, I'm sorry, 2017 was the rain-delayed game, very rain-delayed yeah. game at where Edsport Stadium. Last year in in, Penn, uh, in Happy Valley 2018, eight catches, 100 yards, two touchdowns. So – You can see why Penn State fans are happy that he's gone. What I think MSU should do with this is... So there was a high school in St. Louis uh, that had a suspended player. He was suspended from the previous year, but he had to sit out a game this year. They decided to just play him with a different jersey number and basically try to hide him. I think that's what (laughs) MSU should do. They should dress up Felton Davis for the game. Maybe give him Ladarius Jefferson's jersey or something like that. Uh, Really... Do a really good job of hide it, hiding it. Uh, that's what I think. You, you, you. I mean, you were there up close last year for the Felton Davis show. Uh, what do you remember about watching him?
1: Yeah. Well. Well. First of all, I, I, I'm kind of with you on that jersey theory. Uh, I remember in the Indiana game last year when Mark D'Antonio was trying to like avoid. He's trying to like not give away who was going to be the starting punter in that game. He had five guys go out to pregame warmups with the number 12 jersey. <laughs> so, so maybe he can do that with number 18. Wait, he did that with the punter? Felt... With the punters, yes. It was insane. I was like, I've never seen anything like I that. I didn't know that. I remember yeah. I remember
0: Lane Kiffin, when he was the head coach at USC, had some guys change numbers on the sideline. He, <laughs> uh, he was not allowed to do that.
1: Yeah, they they ran back in the locker room and, and came back out real quick. But it was it was pretty funny to see that. So maybe they can do that with Felton and number 18. Um but, I don't, yeah, Felton, when I was at that game at, at Penn State, he was just a man amongst boys. And Michigan State had no business winning that game. No business. Uh, you know, Brian Lewerke, that was the game that he apparently hurt his shoulder in. So he was playing banged up at some point in that game. Uh, there were a lot of players out. I think Daryl Stewart missed that game. Cody White had a broken hand. He didn't play. Um, A a lot of the offensive line didn't play, which I don't know if that would have factored in that much, but there were some guys out there. So, I don't know. Michigan State just had no business winning that game. But Felton Davis really willed them to that victory, and he had the game-winning touchdown. And I was on the field for the final five minutes, and I'm kind of – you're not allowed to be behind the the team benches, but I was passing through from one end to the other right as Felton Davis was coming back to the sideline after that touchdown catch – and he's just going nuts. Guys are like slapped on the helmet and high fiving him, and he gets up on a on a little bleacher stand there, and he starts yelling at the crowd. He's like, "What's up? What's up?" And I was right there. Perfect video, perfect timing as I'm passing through. Uh, every few months that video like resurfaces, oh, yeah. and it, it did it did a couple of days ago. So I'm like, "All right, it's it's Penn State week." But uh, yeah, Felton is just is just a monster. I think M S U really misses him. Uh, it's kind of weird because in 2015, he really only played in two games. So I think looking back, if, if there's a chance to just sit him and have him back for an extra year, MSU would do that 10 times out of 10. Yeah. But, you know, yeah, he's in the NFL. He's with the Kansas City Chiefs. I believe he's on IR right now, uh, eligible to come off in a couple weeks. But he'll be at this game. That will be cool to see him.
0: Yeah, you throw out the conventional wisdom when it's the land-grant trophy. You never know what's going to happen. But, yeah, he, 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 he was a guy who came in with a lot of hype. And uh, I think he caught the first pass against Alabama in the playoff game. I think he had a catch against Iowa, but other than that, he hadn't done much. In 2016, he didn't. He was surprisingly invisible, and then he broke out in in 2017, 2018. But uh, yeah, if MSU could go back and retro him for a four game deal like they didn't have him now, I think that would be uh, pretty big. Uh, also, want to give a shout out to dear old state it's the athletics penn state podcast uh you should check that out if you want to see the penn state side of things uh heading into the game this weekend dear old state you should check that out uh next question came from at rp coconut seven what are the odds the mcu secondary gets torched by sean clifford and kj hamler did, did you watch the michigan penn state game over the weekend
1: no, I missed that one, actually. So
0: Penn State jumps out to a quick 21-0 lead. Michigan comes back a little bit but falls short. The biggest thing that stood out for Penn State in that game, at least when when, when things were rolling, was uh, their ability to get the deep passes. A lot of times Michigan was putting uh, safeties in one-on-one coverage with some of those speedy receivers, and that that was not going well. K.J. Hamler had a big touchdown catch. Uh that's gonna. I think that's gonna be one of the biggest keys of this game is MSU not allowing the big passing play because Penn State has shown the ability to do that, and with with uh, KJ Hamler is incredibly fast, and I would expect uh, they're gonna try to go deep against an MSU secondary that has struggled, especially against uh, plays like that. At this time, do you have any initial Penn State thoughts, or have you not looked that far yet?
1: Yeah, I mean, just off, off Clifford and, and Hamler. I mean, Clifford, he's been great this year. Uh, you know, I think there was some uncertainty with Trace McSorley kind of leaving and uh, Tommy Stevens transferring, but Clifford's been everything Penn State could have hoped for. Uh, he's got 16 touchdowns, only three interceptions this year. He's thrown seven of those to, to Hamler, who so those two seem to have, you know, a connection there. That seems to be his go-to guy. So I'm not sold on this MSU secondary. I, they've been torched by lesser passing offenses in the past. So I, I think it could be a rough day.
0: Hanson Hilmer asks other than Pat Narduzzi, who would be some of the top candidates for a potential opening at head coach for MSU? We, we kind of, we've kind of talked about this before, but you know, Narduzzi makes sense. He's doing a good job at Pitt. If they were able to pull him, I think that would be a, a, uh, a really good hire to keep things going in the, this direction. Other than that, uh, I think I think Luke Fickle, if D'Antonio steps away or if whatever happens, I think Luke Fickle would be an ideal fit. He, he's just like D'Antonio, the Cincinnati head coach. He's a former defensive coordinator at Ohio State. It's the exact same resume that D'Antonio had. Uh, Fickle's been an Ohio Midwest guy his whole life. He's done a really good job getting Cincinnati back up to being a, a, a really good program. I, I think he checks. I think he basically checks off all the boxes that you could be looking for if you're MSU. Some other names that people have thrown around: Iowa State head coach Matt Campbell. I think he'd be a tremendous hire. I just I don't know if Campbell would leave Iowa State for Michigan State. I I, I think he's most likely his next stop is most likely Notre Dame or the NFL. He's an Ohio guy. I you know, maybe he if he, maybe he would have gotten a. A look at Ohio State if they hadn't promoted from within. Um, So I'm not sure about that. Kind of the same deal with Matt Rule, Baylor head coach. I saw some people have mentioned him, former head coach at Temple. He just got a new big contract at Baylor that they're giving him a lot of money and he's getting NFL interest too. So I don't know if MSU would fit there, but, uh, you know, Colton, I, I know you're focused on MSU, but do you have any thoughts on guys who might be fits?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think you have to kind of start with Luke Bickle. He's kind of been the, the biggest name tied, if there is going to be an opening. And like you mentioned, he does check every box. Head coaching experience, Big Ten ties, good recruiter, Ohio ties, obviously, and a history with Antonio. So, I, you know, I think that would make a lot of sense. Uh, I've seen a few other names tossed around. Uh, Chris Creighton at Eastern Michigan. Um, I don't, Chris, you might know more about him than I do, but, you know, from my pr- perspective, it seems like he's doing a good job. Uh, back-to-back bowl games. That's a tough program to win that, and he's kind of turned it around a little he's bit. He's done a
0: great job there, and as of, like, three weeks ago, I thought he was certain to get a Big Ten job, but then they lost, like, two or three games. They bounced back yeah. to be Western this past weekend, um, but he's a guy who's won everywhere. I thought he'd be a great fit for a, for an Indiana or an Illinois if those opened up. Indiana's probably not going to open up now because they're 5-2, and two, but um, mm-hmm. that, that, that kind of leads us into our final two questions here what you know what do you what do we need to see from mark d'antonio from the rest of this year to have confidence that the program is going in the right direction coming off of these really bad losses to wisconsin and ohio state and now with penn state coming up I, i i think you need to have msu be competitive with penn state and michigan you can't get run off the field like you did in those last two games maybe even win one of them and then and then you got to take care of your business against Maryland in the Illinois Rutgers. It's been several years now of MSU playing down to these opponents. I mean, just last year this team barely beat Rutgers. I know, I know, yep. I know they were decimated by injuries, but it was Rutgers. That's it, it, like <laughs> MSU needed to pull that out in the fourth quarter. A few years ago they lost to Maryland. A few years ago they lost to Illinois. These are these are teams that MSU should not be having trouble with. So. As bad as these last two weeks were, I still think there's opportunity to show that things aren't completely falling apart. You've got three games there that, that you should win. If you have trouble with those, if you know, if, if you're struggling to beat those teams and you get blown out by maybe Penn State this weekend, then I think all the chatter we're hearing is, is gonna continue.
1: That Rutgers game was something else last year. <laughs> I yeah, man,
0: that was that was Brutal. amazing.
1: um yeah I agree I I I think you need to split against Penn State and Michigan I think they have a much better chance of beating Michigan than Penn State but I guess we'll see they've had Penn State's number the last couple years so maybe that's a game but
0: yeah I um, I don't like for whatever reason I they always seem to play well against Penn State plus the games at home I I don't I don't know why I've just I've never from MSU's perspective I think feared Penn State as much as well obviously Ohio State but even Michigan and Wisconsin, uh, but who knows? Maybe I'll be wrong this year, but, uh, you know, to, to win the last yep. two games against Penn State, against good Penn State teams, uh, just for whatever reason, MSU's played up for, I mean, not for whatever reason. The reason is because of the trophy, but, you know, That's, that just it gets people motivated.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, it, you know, the other games, Illinois just beat Wisconsin, so that game looks a little bit tougher than probably we initially thought. Uh, I think that's still a win at home. Um, Maryland is just, Maryland's full of of frauds. You know, (laughs) that program, after the Syracuse win, everyone's like, all right, they could do some things, and then they've just kind of tailed off since then. But uh, I don't know. Rutgers, we'll see how that game goes. I'm more interested to see what comes of D'Antonio's Tuesday press conference. Um, He didn't have one last week, so this will be the first time we've really talked to him since the Wisconsin loss. Uh, In the past, he's used these press conferences to kind of set the tone and I think he's going to need to do that again after all these transfers and the way the last couple of games have, has gone for this MSU team. So I'm kind of looking at that and, you know, how does he respond? How does he kind of set the tone for the team going forward for the rest of the year? And what, what make, what will come of that Tuesday press conference? I'm looking forward to that. And
0: lastly, is there a reason to have faith in this administration to run a coaching search? Bill Beekman, the new athletic director, you know, they've got a new president that the Larry Nasser stuff really reshaped the leadership at the school for obvious and, and, and good reasons. Although Mark Hollis was not, has not been implicated in any of that, but you know, this isn't the Mark Hollis, Luana case Simon days where you knew that they were running good coaching searches and bringing in the right people. This is a, a very unproven set of people. It's also why it, it, it's why I don't think D'Antonio gets fired I I don't think these are people in positions where they can decide that it's worth firing a coach. I think it's, it's ultimately up to D'Antonio if he decides to retire or not. Um, I, I think it's up to him. I think it should be up to him based on, you know, what he's accomplished at this point too. But it's also, if they do bring in somebody else, I don't think it can be someone who's a first year head coach. I think it has to be someone with head coaching, head coaching experience, head coaching success, because he's going to that coach is going to be with an administration that uh, is also kind of learning on the job so you know is there is there faith in the yeah. administration running coaching search that's I don't know not totally it's also why I think that uh, you may have to try to set things in place behind the scenes before D'Antonio ultimately makes a decision if he makes a decision
1: yeah uh and yeah you mentioned a candidate with head coaching experience I think that's gonna be big we, we didn't mention that but Mike Tressel was maybe another guy that could be considered and, uh, maybe a few other ex- assistant coaches, but you have to wonder how ready they are for a job like that. But, uh, my biggest thing with, you know, the new administration and running a coaching search is that Bill Beekman has never done this before. He's learning on the job himself. Um, he's been asked about this scenario in the past and he's, he's pretty much said he hopes this day never comes. <laughs> so, um, I remember at his introductory press conference, uh, D'Antonio and Izzo both spoke highly of him and said their relationship with Beekman was the reason why they wanted him to get the full-time AD job, so he doesn't really seem like the guy to make a bold move like that and and fire a coach like Mark D'Antonio, who is the winningest coach in program history. So I think most—you can get that out of your mind right now. I don't think D'Antonio is getting fired. Um, But if he were to retire, you know, it might be possible that he has a say in it, just because, you know, maybe he can help Beekman along. Uh, Maybe there's some sort of pre-planned arrangement for one of his guys to take over. Um, I feel like that would kind of have to be how this thing plays out with a guy like Beekman in charge who has never done this before and is still learning on the job. But it'll be pretty interesting. Maybe, you know, D'Antonio does step down, and maybe it is a full-on coaching search, and they bring in a guy like Luke Fickle. That would be I think if, it, if it's a scenario like that, I think that would make a lot of sense. And we, we've talked about Fickle and his why this could be a fit there. But it'll be interesting to see how this all unfolds. And uh, I'm not really sure much. How, I'm not really sure what to think of this new administration running a coaching search.
0: Yeah, it's important to remember this is all hypothetical. Or, you know, D'Antonio right. hasn't said he's staying down, but it's the bye no. week, and there's not a lot to talk about. And people.
1: People are asking it, it, about it. You people know? are
0: asking about it. People in the coaching profession have wondered about it since since last off season. Um, but again, maybe you know, maybe D'Antonio wins for these last five to win eight games and decides to stick around. You know, you know. absolutely. There, there, there are many ways this season can still play out. Um, so we'll just have to wait and see. We'll see what D'Antonio says on Tuesday. Colton, uh, do you have anything readers should keep an eye out from you this week?
1: Yeah, so I'm going to write about the 2016 class and just all the transfers. You know, you start with 20 players, and now you're down to seven before it's time to graduate or really before that class has has really finished up here. Um, So I'll write about that and just kind of do a a breakdown of what happened to that class. Um, And then later in the week, I think I'm going to try to write about the land-grant trophy. Ooh. Yeah. Good. So I'm going to talk to players, get their perspective on That big, beautiful trophy that they uh, haul around the field after wins like that. So, uh, yeah, I'm excited about that one.
0: A thing dreamed up by, what, George Perlis and Paterno or something like that. I hate that this game's not, we'll talk about it later, but I hate that this game's not the last game (laughs) of the regular season anymore like it should be. There's no reason not to. I don't understand. It's not like Penn State replaced the final game with somebody interesting, but we'll talk about that later. So that'll do it here. We will be back on Thursday to preview Penn State to talk more about the Land Grant Trophy and get into actual game stuff. Thanks to everybody who sent in questions. Uh, we'll try to do more of this. There's another bye week coming up, so we'll try to do a bigger mailbag and stuff like that. Uh, so we will talk to you guys Thursday. For Chris Vanini- uh, I'm Chris Vanini for Colton Pouncey. Thanks to our producer, Mike Zimmerman. Shout out to Road Dog Jesse James. We'll see you guys on the other side.